podcast where liberty is our mission. Today is Wednesday, March 27th, 2013. This is podcast number 290, and my name is Ben Stone. Uh, two quick announcements. The first is for Porkfest, of course. We, you can't miss Porkfest. This is Porkfest 10, or Porkfest X, as the kids like to call it. This will be June 17th through 23rd, 2013, at the Rogers Campground in Lancaster, New Hampshire. Uh, I'll be speaking on Monday and on Friday. Uh, if you can get to Porkfest, I strongly recommend you do it. It's a real uh, fun adventure, and uh, I can almost guarantee you'll like it. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention, as I have been, is the Seacoast Annual Freedom Expo, Saturday, April 27th, 2013, in Exeter, New Hampshire. That's at the Exeter Town Hall. There will be workshops, tables, speakers, vendors, and all kinds of activity all day long. It's very similar to the Liberty Forum, but there's no admission. Uh, you don't have to sign up ahead of time. Just show up in Exeter on April 27th and have fun and meet people and uh, just, you know, hang out. Okay, now uh, I want to start today's podcast by reading an article. And I did this article, oh, I don't know, sometime back. And uh, I wasn't really sure if I'd ever done a recording of it or even if I had posted it at Bad Quaker. And I, I did a, a search, and it appears that I have not recorded it, and it appears that I have not posted it at Bad, at Bad Quaker. So I thought I would start today's show by just doing a reading of this article. And the title of it is, Greenbackers Are Not Libertarians. And if you're not sure what a greenbacker is, if you're one of the newer listeners and you haven't really heard me talking about greenbackers much, or um, if you have other ideas in your mind about what that might be or whatever, uh, stick with me. Hopefully this won't be boring. Hopefully it will be informative and, um, and you'll kind of get an idea of, of who we're talking about here. So again, the title of this article is Greenbackers Are Not Libertarians. In any discussion worth noting, it's important to be clear on the terminology being used. This is difficult to do in politics because there are hordes of vermin in modern society who are completely dependent upon the ignorance of the masses to further their careers. Therefore, they will make every effort to distort all political terminology and neutralize its ability to define any position with accuracy. In most cases, the last thing a member of the political class wants to do is accurately and definitively explain what it is that he or she actually does for a living. This one admission would shine unwanted light on the nasty truth that, as Franz Oppenheimer explained in his masterful work, The State, there are two ways people can sustain themselves, through the economic means or through the political means. The economic means is defined by such activity as using one's own effort to produce goods or a service that can be voluntarily exchanged for some other good or service. Generally, this activity produces a net sum gain in wealth as the participants interact. The political means, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. The political means is based on the utilization of aggression upon others in an effort to obtain some portion of the fruit of their labor, whether they choose to share it or not. Generally, this activity produces a net sum loss in wealth, as the one using the political means feeds upon the one using the economic means. So then, if the political class spoke in clearly defined terms and refrained from the deceptive practice of distorting those terms, the obvious fact that the political class are actually just thieves would come to light very quickly and their convenient way of life would end. 
With that in mind, I would like to be as clear as possible in defining two terms, libertarian and greenbacker. In trying to define the word libertarian, you will always run up against two distinct groups who both vigorously defend their definition of the word. The one tending to lead to some extent or another towards anarcho-capitalism and the other group tending to want to hold on to the last threads of the course of state can be referred to as minarchists. But both of these subdivisions of, of libertarians will mutually agree that however you define libertarianism, it must stand as the opposite of socialism. Any definition of libertarianism must include the foundational truth of the right of individual property. Collectivism and the central planning of socialism have no common ground with the concepts of liberty and individual private property rights. The two philosophies are like lines traveling through space in opposing directions into infinity without a single point of intersection. The word greenbacker, on the other hand, is quite easy to define. It's a derogatory reference to a group of people who once held up the presidency of Abe Lincoln as the example of their greatest political achievement. They embrace fiat money as the answer to both economic downturns and the burdens of taxation. They believe that central banks and the credit expansion committed by central banks are both unethical and damaging to the nation's economy. They believe an economy is best served if a core group of elected individuals in government have central control of the money supply. In the case of the U.S. government, Greenbackers believe Congress should direct the Treasury Department in the creating and issuing of fiat money for the purpose of guiding the economy and for paying the government's expenses. Greenbackers believe most or all taxes would be eliminated under such a system and prosperity would result. The astute libertarian should spot a problem with this sketch of a greenbacker utopia. It has the look of a drawing by Karl Marx, and for very good reason. It is though Karl himself commissioned it and oversaw the project. The political philosophy, where the primary means of production, the money supply, is centrally controlled and planned by government, has a name. It's called socialism. When the money supply is in the hands of government-supported corporate monopolies like a central bank, you have the kind of socialism that Benito Mussolini called fascism. But fascism, as it is defined economically, is simply a variation of socialism where corporate elites work with government elites in controlling the means of production. So the Federal Reserve Bank cartel that currently exists in America is an example of economic fascism, and the Greenbackers would like to exchange that fascism for a more pure Marxist socialism. But you'll never hear the Greenbacker admit that fact. Exposing the true intent of the Greenbacker will cause him to scurry away like a cockroach hiding from the light. The Greenbacker faces a huge problem when dealing with libertarians. Many libertarians, at least to some extent, have a foundation in Austrian economics. And in confronting the follies of socialism, Austrian economics holds a weapon that no socialist has ever been able to stand up against. And that would be the writings of Ludwig von Mises. In his magnificent work, Socialism, an Economic and Sociological Analysis, Mises completely disassembles all perceived logical support for a successful socialist system. Mises shows that socialism and its central planning of the money supply is not only impractical, but it is impossible to make such a system work due to its lack of a price mechanism. And as Mises has shown, only a free market can provide a reliable price mechanism, no matter if the topic at hand is apples, shoelaces, nails, fish heads, or money itself. This places the greenbacker in an awkward position. If he chooses to be honest about his desires, he will never gain a foothold in the liberty movement. And yet he must find a way to twist the liberty movement into his control if he is to accomplish his goal. At this point you may ask, why do the greenbackers want to control the liberty movement? Before I get to that, let me refresh your memory of the last few years. As the failure of the political right took place from 2006 through 2008, many people 
who had previously described themselves as conservatives, became disgruntled with their leadership and sought some other way of expressing their will. Many of them heard such prominent speakers as Ron Paul and Peter Schiff discussing aspects of Austrian economics and were drawn to these truths. Waves of people began calling themselves libertarian, and an old ideology became what can almost be described as a pop sensation. A very similar thing happened, but on a much smaller scale, as some who once called themselves liberals started taking a hard look at the way the political left gleefully began trampling civil rights and warmongering from the moment they took control of government and continue up to the present day. So as the ranks of new libertarians swelled, the old libertarians made a serious mistake. In wide-eyed wonder of the success of their efforts, old-time libertarians failed to understand how much power the truth of their philosophy possesses and how desirable that power would be to the bottom feeders of society. Old-line libertarians were so happy to see the new people that they failed in their responsibility to educate those new people on the fundamentals of libertarian thought. So with crowds of Ron Paul supporters chanting, In the Fed! In the Fed! Greenbackers rubbed their mandibles together and chattered with delight. Every con man knows there's no easier way to convince your victim to trust you than to viciously attack your victim's enemy. And the Federal Reserve banking cartel is the mutual enemy of the liberty movement and the greenbackers. It's true there were a few scattered voices among the old guard that warned of greenbacker infiltration, but the majority of voices of the movement remained silent on the topic as the campaign donations flowed and website statistics climbed into the stratosphere. Bringing the narrative to present day, we're faced not with one kind of greenbacker, but with two. There are these old-school greenbackers who first slipped on the costume of the libertarians and crept among us with slick movies and websites filled with double-talk and lies. And there are the deceived and the uneducated Paulian masses who continue to chant in the Fed without considering for a moment what Mordor on the Potomac will replace the Federal Reserve with once the economic crisis reaches the point that everyone sees the folly of having a fascist monetary system. The second type of greenbackers cannot be successfully re-educated on the fundamentals of liberty so long as established libertarian leaders ignore the old-school greenbackers who continue to operate within the movement with impunity. As it is, these creatures are invited to speak at prominent libertarian gatherings and go unchallenged by all but a few within the liberty movement. But this shouldn't shock old-time libertarians. We should understand by now that the nature of leadership has built within it the tendency to collect surface grubbers and ignore corruption so long as the crowds continue chanting and the donations are still flowing. This is a good time to revisit the question from early in the article. Why do the greenbackers want to control the liberty movement? Greenbackers have been out of power for a long time, but this could change with surprising speed once the Federal Reserve System runs its course. The obvious thing for the money elite to do when the Federal Reserve fails is to introduce an international currency controlled by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. The problem faced by these big money interests is that the American people have an inherent distaste for anything they perceive as globalization. Some Americans can get downright violent at the thought of some international organization controlling the American money system. On the other hand, if greenbackers can wrest control of the liberty movement while continuing to whip the crowds into a froth to end the Fed, then when the time comes for the Federal Reserve System to be replaced, Congress will likely bow to the, quote, will of the people, and will insist on the very system the greenbackers pine for. Imagine that, Congress giving Congress more power under the guise of the will of the people. The whole of the mainstream media will announce that Ron Paul's dream has come true. The fact that Ron Paul is not a greenbacker means nothing. Then, when the socialist greenbacker utopia turns sour, and socialism fails as it always does, it will all be the fault of those dirty libertarians and that crazy old Ron Paul.
But fear not, the globalists will be here to save the day by restoring, quote, sound money and by an international monetary unit that will be based on, quote, a basket of commodities that they control. Of course, their definition of sound money and basket of commodities can pretty much mean whatever they want it to mean. After all, these people exist in society by redefining the words that describe who they are and what they do for a living. Folks, when I get back from the break, I'm going to talk a little bit more about greenbackers, um, what I call hucksters, and uh, who is selling the greenbacker con and who is buying the greenbacker con. Stick with me, folks. I'll be right back. Do you have an Amazon account? If you don't, let me encourage you to set one up. Setting up an account is free and it's easy, and Amazon has great prices, and in most cases you can avoid paying sales tax. Plus, if you're careful and lump your purchases together, you can get free shipping. And Amazon has almost anything you can think of, plus it's safer and cheaper than driving all over town. When you buy stuff, if you follow the Amazon link at badquaker.com, Amazon will give Bad Quaker a tiny portion of the purchase. It won't cost you any extra, but you'll be supporting this podcast. Thank you. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the break. Now, before I get into the next section, I want to talk about uh, about a word, a word that, uh, for me, has sort of a hillbilly root. My family is Appalachian, going back to the 1600s. So, um, so I have stuck within my brain these old uh, Appalachian words that nobody else uses or people use in different ways. Uh, one of those is the word huck, to huck. Now, uh, in my, as I was doing my notes for today, I, I started to put this word in my notes, and I, and I thought, you know what? I don't know that that's the right meaning of that word. So I asked my wife about it, and then I did some Google searching, and I found out that I have, uh, in my mind, this word huck doesn't mean what I thought it meant, uh, or at least not in common language. And then I discovered sort of a little path, and this is way off of the show for today, but it's just kind of an idea to keep in mind um, as I'm using the, this word. So I found, I found this path, and uh, in old Scottish language, in old Scottish wording that is, a, a huckster was a woman who would uh, oftentimes go down to the docks at night and slip on board ships and uh, and buy things like maybe you know wine or alcohol spirits of some kind or perhaps medicines or elixirs of one kind or another and she would buy them directly on the boat at night when um, uh, before the boat had unloaded and before the taxes took place on the boat and then she would take these back and 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 there's sort of an inference that maybe she wasn't so honest in the way that she went about convincing the boat uh, captain or whoever to sell her the goods. So because they were taking a risk by selling them, you know, without the proper uh, uh, taxes, without the, the uh, port fees. So then this woman would take the uh, liquid, the alcohol, the elixir, the whatever, you know, whatever that it was that she was, uh, that she had purchased from the boat, and she would water it down. And then she didn't have an actual... Uh, you know, an actual stand or a business or a, a you know a brick and mortar type, what we might call today a brick and mortar store. She operated much like a um, you know like a door to door salesperson might, or uh, or operated from a perhaps a street corner where she sold something from underneath a cloak, and she, and her product was often watered down. So she would she would buy it at a discount rate from the boat. Uh, without paying the proper taxes and fees, and then she would water it down and sell the watered-down version in small quantities to mostly poor people who couldn't afford the better product. So this is where the word in Scotland, this is where the word huckster came from. And then as the Scotch-Irish people moved to Appalachia, uh, the word to huck meant to sell something 
um, that either wasn't actually what was wanted, you know, there's some deception involved or there's some pushing of the product that that the person is buying what they they might you know an old phrase was a pig in a poke you buy you buy something without looking at it you te- you trust the huckster that what's in the bag is actually a pig when in reality it's something like a cat or whatever so uh so these words uh, are stuck in my head from having an appalachian root and so i started to use these words and I, and I realized that i had to make some definition first so that's my whole explanation and plus a little uh, pause in the in the show just to have some entertainment purposes so when i talk about a huckster uh what i'm talking about oh and i should mention too oddly enough there's a connection between the word huckster and hooker in other words um in trying to discredit the female hucksters who were selling a, a watered down product on street corners there was this derogatory um, association with prostitution in order to, uh, you know, in order to create a negative image in the eyes of uh, of other people that might be buying the products. And so there's a common root in these two words of uh, of hooker and huckster. Anyway, so for the purpose of the show today, and for the purpose of when I'm speaking, and, and I refer to someone as being a huckster, what I'm talking about is someone who takes the real thing, kind of gets a discount version of it, waters it down, and then sells it as the real thing. So uh, when I talk about I'm going to mention Liberty Hucksters, and in doing that, I'm talking about someone who takes the edge of, uh, of a product and mixes it with something that you're not expecting and then sells it to you as the real thing because they really don't care about the end result. They really care about... Uh, you know their marketing, their marketing ability, and their ability to sell a product, and their ability to get money out of your hands and into their pockets. Okay, so now back to the topic: Who's selling the Greenbacker Con, and who's buying the Greenbacker Con? All right. Well, now if we take that and we separate it into, um, yeah, let's just think of who's who's selling the Greenbacker Con. There are two groups of people that are selling the Greenbacker Con. There are those who will directly profit or gain power when when the greenbacker dream comes true. And let me let me just be specific here. The greenbacker believes that Congress should be in control of the money supply. Congress should issue debt-free money and just pay its bills with money straight from the that it makes up fiat money that it makes up uh, issued straight from the from the uh, uh, from the treasury at the will of Congress. That's the greenbacker dream. Uh, many of them go so far as to say that all debt should be eliminated, and or some of them want to have a jubilee. Uh, so you know, ever so many years, have all debt eliminated through some kind of jubilee that they talk about all the time. But the core of the Greenbacker theology, or it's not really. That's let's go with con because that's really what it is. It's an intentional con. The core of the Greenbacker con is to have uh, the money supply centrally controlled. And and um, uh, and and you know central planning, central control, and central planning by a committee within government. That's the core of the Greenbacker thing. And as like I said in the article earlier, of course that's socialism. Of course that's what it is. It's the it's you know uh, almost a textbook example of of socialism. So who are these people that are selling the Greenbacker con? Well, like I said, you have one group who stands to either profit or gain in, in power when this happens or or through the selling of the idea they they can either profit through the selling idea gain in power through the selling of the idea and uh you know without without getting too uh without naming too many names because I will name a few names today but you can imagine for yourself if you have someone say in congress or in the senate who has a lot to gain politically by uh chanting the in the fed mantra and then uh, when the time comes uh, that person can stand out as the champion and maybe even gain a better position in the Senate or maybe become a president or, you know. So you can use your own imagination to, to figure out who in the political realm can uh, stands to gain power through the Greenbacker policies. But then, uh, and then there's those who stand to profit. And the ones who stand to profit are the ones who, the hucksters, they're selling um they're selling the uh, – this is the second group of greenbackers, the Liberty Hucksters, and they don't really care 
uh, about any of, of the results of any of this. They only care about selling their watered-down potions, and they care about riding the wave. Uh, because right now, you know, uh, it's cool to be a libertarian, and it's cool to hate the Fed. And so these liberty hucksters are feeding off of that popularity, and they're riding the wave of a popular movement. And it brings them personal glory, and it brings them personal wealth. And so that's the two groups. We have the ones who stand to gain uh, you know, profit or power um, when the event actually takes place. And we have the liberty hucksters who really don't care in the long run as long as they can uh, obtain personal glory now and fill their pockets now. And that's their goal. Their sales, uh, you know, sales is their main thing, selling a, pro selling a product. And the product they're selling to you is greenbackerism. The product that they're selling their advertisers uh, is you. They're, they're uh, hooking you in to get the kind of hits that they need on their website to sell your hits to their advertisers. Okay, so now both types of these subgroups that I just mentioned, the hucksters and the, uh, we'll call them the, the, power, the power gainers, um, both of these two groups are dedicated statists, 100% statists. The liberty hucksters, uh, they may talk a good line, they may name drop. I think specifically of, uh, of a greenbacker named Foster Gamble that loves to, to, to drop in on sites or get into interviews or whatever, and he'll talk about Murray Rothbard or he'll talk about Mises or he'll talk about Hayek. If he's talking to a liberty-oriented group, if he's talking to a right-wing group, he won't mention any of those names. If he's talking to a bunch of lefty spiritualists, he will, talk, he will drop names in that realm. He'll drop whatever names he needs to drop. And Foster Gamble's really interesting about this because he'll play, he, he's not only trying to play the liberty movement. He'll play any movement that will you know, send more visitors to his website and buy his, uh, his movies. Another name dropper is... is uh, uh, Michelle Bachman, you remember her from the was it the 2000 early 2012 campaign where uh, she was told by her handlers to drop the name Mises that she she liked to sit on the beach with a book by Mises. Now, what are the odds she ever read? I, what are the odds she even knows who Mises was? But she's willing to drop the names. Why? Because she uh, she can she's not so much a liberty huckster as she is in that other branch that need, that wants to use the liberty movement for for personal you know political gain, but they may use libertarian buzzwords like that. They may drop names. They may use libertarian buzzwords. They may show up at libertarian gatherings. Sometimes they're even paid speakers at libertarian. They are paid speakers. That's what I said at libertarian gatherings. They may even refer to themselves as theoretically an anarchist, and they may say, say things like, I'd push the button to kill government if one existed, but then they always add disclaimers, and those disclaimers are very much like the disclaimers that we hear uh, you know, in reference to slavery. I'd push the button to end slavery, but who'd pick the cotton? I'd push the button to end slavery, but how would, how would the economy exist without slaves? So, so whenever they talk about pushing a button to kill government, they always add disclaimers to that because they don't really believe that. And like I, I've talked before about this, uh, this silly idea of pushing a button to end government, there's a market for government now, and if you could push a button and stop all government today, tomorrow it would be back and worse because there's a market for it. And libertarians ought to understand that you can't fight against a market. Okay, now, so who is buying the Greenbacker Con? Well, I see two groups of people that are falling victim to the Greenbacker Con. Um, the first group is primarily new libertarians that are focusing on ending the Fed. There's a lot of team spirit involved. There's not a whole lot of knowledge about libertarianism. They've got a good feeling about it. They're, they're generally honest. They're generally attempting to really find the truth. But they're fairly new to the to libertarianism, and they don't know a lot of the details, and so they're they're just simply fooled, and um, and they're taken in by the you know all the hype of the team spirit of wanting to end the Fed, and and so they just are just trying to go along with everybody and and, and be a part of it. Then there's the second group, and the second group are these left right statists who don't actually grasp libertarian thought, 
but they know that the party divisions don't fit their desires. These are the uh, newly newly minted libertarians that are in it, um, not so much because they care about libertarian principles, but because uh, because they're aggravated at the Democrats or they're aggravated at the Republicans for whatever reason. Now you can think of the followers of people like Bob Barr, Wayne Allen Root, Bill Mau Bill Mau Bill Moore, Bill Maurer, Maurer, Bill Maurer however you say his name, Glenn Beck. Um, now, these are not the hucksters themselves. Don't get confused. Bob Barr is, is not one of these hucksters. Wayne Allen Root is not a huckster. They, they fall into a different category altogether because they're not necessarily greenbackers. But, they're, they're, uh, but the followers of those people is who I'm talking about, followers of these guys. These two groups of followers um, are susceptible to the con of the greenbackers. I'm talking about the followers of people like Bob Barr, Wayne Allen Root, you know, followers of them and the new new libertarians um, that have a, uh, you know, their intentions are good. They just don't know a lot about it and they're a little bit confused and so they, and they haven't learned all the aspects of libertarianism. So to these new libertarians, I want to I want to encourage you. Um, this can all be very confusing. Remember that it's not important to understand every issue or to memorize the words of any great writers. Um, it's not important to know how Murray Rothbard believed about this or that or what influenced uh, Ayn Rand. All of that stuff is secondary noise. You just don't need to know it all. You don't need to spend hours and hours and hours researching all these different things. All of libertarian thought can be wrapped up in the non-aggression and uh, principle and property rights. And, I, and usually I say zero aggression principle, but you know whether you want to call it the non-aggression principle or the zero aggression principle, Everything about true libertarianism can be wrapped up in non-aggression and property. And I'll touch on this more later. Um, so to the new libertarian, uh, I, what I want to encourage you to do is to spot and avoid the liberty hucksters. It's not so much that you have to have the perfect um, libertarian thinking on every single item. It's more that your mind is protected from these hucksters that want to steal your, uh, that want to empty your wallet. I mean, that's really what their intention is. Now, on to the left-right status that I was talking about, these left-right uh, refugees from the Democrat and Republican parties. Um, they don't actually grasp libertarian thought at all and don't really care to. But they know that the party divisions uh, didn't fit their desires. Um, in other words, um, you know, uh, maybe they got mad at the Democrats because of the Democrat warmongering, or maybe they got mad at the Republicans for the Republicans constantly talking about cutting spending and never do. You know, maybe they got mad for one of those reasons or whatever. So they're aggravated at the left and, the, and at the right. Um, and for that reason, they're particularly vulnerable to the liberty hucksters because they haven't fully grasped what libertarianism is. And, and these liberty hucksters are selling a product that they can pretty much label any way they want and make up any of the rules that surround it. They don't really care as long as they can get you on their website, get you buying their products, and get you clicking on their, uh, on their links. So now I want to talk about the fallacy of the would-be libertarians and how the liberty hucksters feed on their blood. And this, the would-be libertarians are these people who don't, who know that they're they're disgruntled Republicans and Democrats, but they're not quite libertarians. But they want to be. They would be if they could. Now, all of these people, whether they're the actual would-be libertarians or the hucksters that are trying to feed on them, they tend to focus on hot-button issues. Um, they like to go issue by issue and say, this issue is libertarian, this issue is not libertarian. Uh, you have to believe this about marijuana, you have to believe this about gay marriage, you have to believe this about taxation. And they, um, uh, they tend to have a state-twisted, misguided understanding of history. They'll oftentimes, uh, you know, especially the ones with more of a Republican background, they'll have some twisted version of history where things used to be great in the 90s, or things used to be great back in the 50s, or things used used to be great in the 1850s or, or in 1776 or whatever. They have some misguided state uh, version of history in their mind. The end point of their worldview, though, is that mankind is not ready for self-government and must be held to some behavioral standard by the state, and that translates to aggression. 
And if really, and this is the thing, if you really get to the end point of their view, and if you use key questions to, to, you know, to really root out what they're really saying, what they're really saying is that mankind is not ready for self-government. Oh, someday in the far by and by and, you know, way off in the distant future when man evolves some more or some kind of nonsense like that, then we'll be ready for self-government. But we can't have it now. Right now, we have to have behavioral standards set by the government. We have to have some kind of leadership, they'll say. And then they'll go into, you know, explaining to you that uh, you have to. Maybe it's not that great to choose the, the lesser of evils, but if we keep choosing the lesser of evils, eventually we'll have less and less evil. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. That reminds me of the, you know, there's a, a old cartoon called Rocky and Bullwinkle, and there was a, a joke, uh, sort of a, a running gag that was in Rocky and Bullwinkle. And this is where Bullwinkle would have uh, his magician's outfit on, and he would say, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. And Rocky would say, but that thing never works. And he says, this time for sure. And then he reaches in the hat, and he pulls out a lion, or he pulls out something that's not, or maybe he even pulls out Rocky out of the hat. Uh, but whatever, he never pulls a rabbit out of the hat. No matter how many times he tries, he never produces a rabbit. And that's what happens when you keep trusting, oh, but the next election, oh, but if we just keep choosing the lesser of evils, oh, but if we just keep doing the same thing we've always done for 6,000 years, then somehow this time it'll work for sure. Um, another thing that they want to try to throw at you regularly is they don't want to face the truth about what taxation really is. They have a tendency to get real nervous when you start talking about taxation as theft. All taxation is theft, period. It's not a negotiable point. Taxation is theft. If it's not theft, is it voluntary? You're taking money from someone. Is it voluntary? It's not voluntary. Must be theft. It's a nice, easy line to draw right there, right? But they don't want to look at it that way. They want to talk about having a fair tax. Or they want to talk about reduce, slowly reducing tax until so the day that comes the government gets so small that it doesn't need tax anymore. Uh, history? Has it ever happened? Is there any mechanism within government that would allow it to constantly shrink itself like that? This is just fantasy talk. It's huckster. It's, it's, it's selling you something. It's a watered-down thing that's not really what you think you're getting. And uh, and oftentimes they'll they'll give you some kind of a some kind of a sales pitch where they say, well, what we need to do is take away all these regulations. We got regulation A, B, and C, and we need to make corporations. Uh, you know, we need to release corporations and release these banks so that they so that they're not so regulated. And then in the almost in the same breath, if you follow through with what they're saying, they'll say, then we need to make the corporations do X, Y, and Z, or we need to make the banks do X, Y, and Z. I was listening to one of these guys uh, that specifically is a huckster, and he was talking about this very thing just this week on his podcast. And he said, um, "Yeah, we need to we need to cut all these regulations against banks because the governments have so many regulations against banks. And what we need to do is make the banks show us all their records, make the banks be transparent, make the banks okay. So what you're saying is." You want to take away some laws that you don't like and then use the government to to instill other laws that you do like. Well, isn't that what Nancy Pelosi does constantly? Isn't that what uh, John McCain does? What difference is there between what you're asking for? Fundamentally, down in its, down in its core, when you say you don't like law or regulation or whatever, A, B, and C, but you want to instill law or regulation X, Y, and Z, how are you different than the Republicans and the Democrats? You're the same thing. You're just a statist. You're just, you're just there trying to use the fist of government to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Nothing more, nothing less. And whenever these people talk, and this was the case with the with the uh, podcast that I was listening to from this week from one of these hucksters, uh, re when when referencing anything to do with an with ancaps or anarcho capitalists or anarchy or anything like that, they'll constantly use straw man arguments. They will never ever actually portray the real uh, the real argument of uh, anarcho capitalism. And why? Partially because they don't understand it and partially because they don't care to understand it. it it's not within their goals. Their goal is to pull the wool over your eyes and, uh, you know, and, and uh, sell you a con. 
That's the whole purpose. The Liberty Hucksters don't really care about principles as long as they can sell their watered-down potions and ride the wave of, of a popular movement. That's really all it's about. And what, and what you really need to do, and this is so important, um, you have to resist the siren song. Real quick story in case you don't know it. There's an old Greek uh, story about this, uh, this area in, in the sea where, um, where it was very dangerous to negotiate through this area. But a lot of trade had to go through that area. So um, as ships would come through that area, they would start to hear this song. They would start to hear sirens calling. Not sirens like ambulance sirens. That's where the word uh, is used today. But the, but the sirens were believed to be these creatures that lived among the rocks. And they would sing out to the sailors, and they would call them by name sometimes. And they would say things like, uh, you know, your family's over here, your wife is over here, your daughter's over here. Come, see them. They're waiting for you. And they would call very specifically to the sailors, and they would reveal that they knew uh, in-depth knowledge of the sailors' lives, or they would call very alluringly, like you know, in a in a, um, uh, in a in a sexual manner, they would call out to the sailors, "Aren't you lonely? Don't you want to come visit me?" And they would call to the sailors, and 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 eventually the sailors would drive their ships in that direction and right into the rocks and crash their ships. Well, of course, who who was? How does this come about? Were there really, you know, uh, these female sirens on the rocks? Were they were they mermaids uh, alluring the the the, um, the sailors to their death? No, they were just a, uh, just it's just a pirate trick. Um, they they call to you. They allu- they uh, they they lure you over to where they want your ship to be. You hit the rocks. That you crash as you're trying to swim to shore. They kill you, and then they swim out and take all your goods off your ship. And that's the sirens, uh, that's how the sirens make their living. They're pirates. So don't be fooled by the Liberty Hucksters call. Uh, you know, they tend to call to the weak, the confused, the lonely. The Liberty Huckster sings to them the song of liberty and draws them out into the rocks of statism. So now, before I go to the next break, is there hope for the left-right statist who clings to that libertarian label? Yeah, there's hope. There really is hope. There are steps to healing, but before you can take a journey, you have to open your own door. You have to open your own front door before you can take one step out on that journey. And there are doors of the mind and there are doors of the heart. But the truth beckons. The truth is at the door knocking. But it's up to you to open that door, and then it's up to you to make the first step. And admitting that you're a statist is the first step toward defeating statism in your own life. But that's only the first step. And I have to warn you, it's a dangerous business going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. I'm inviting you to a journey. There's no map. There's no guarantee of treasure. And there's definitely a drag in the battle. I can't promise you a free world in your lifetime or in the lifetime of your children. I can only offer you freedom in your mind and in your heart from the slavery that you were born into. I can only offer you a path to righteousness. Stick with me. I'll be right back. From June 17th through June 23rd of this year, the Free State Project will celebrate its 10th annual Porcupine Freedom Festival, Porkfest. My wife Cindy and I plan on attending, and Bad Quaker staff members Hannah and Matt are trying to raise enough money to attend, as they did last year. Considering fuel, campground fees, and Porkfest tickets, we estimate it will cost BadQuaker.com a little over $2,000 for Cindy and I to attend. For Matt and Hannah to attend, it should cost an additional $700. If you'd like to take part in sending the Bad Quaker crew to Porkfest 10, here's how you can do it. Go to BadQuaker.com. You can click on the Donate button on the right-hand side of the page. You can give us Bitcoins with our Bitcoin number located right below the Donate button. Or you can use our Amazon button to shop at Amazon. If you'd like to support BadQuaker.com on a regular basis, you can use the link to our forum and become a supporting member for only $4 a month or just $25 a year. Thanks, folks. 
Want caviar sound on a cat food budget? Creamy Radio Audio by the Freedom Fiends has great free tips so you can sound like a pro without spending like one. The most powerful form of human communication is one person speaking to another. But if people have to suffer through your sound, they'll change the channel and miss your message. With articles on microphones, preamps, recorders, mastering, recording remotely over the internet, doing a podcast, even getting a show on actual radio, the Freedom Fiends show you what they use and where to get it. Whether you're a talk show host, voiceover artist, podcaster, evangelist, or just want to record your loved ones for the ages, at Creamy Radio Audio, the Freedom Fiends will help you make the most of your sound. Creamy Radio Audio will help you speak to the world with sound that will make people want to keep listening. Check out CreamyRadioAudio.com. That's CreamyRadioAudio.com. The Path to Righteousness. That sounds pretty pretty hefty, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to steal something here. I'm going to steal the 12 steps from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to pervert these 12 steps for my own purposes. I'm going to do it blatantly right here in front of you. Watch this. Do you, uh, do you want to take these steps? I mentioned that you have to admit your status to begin with because we've all been there. We've all done that. We've all started out as statists. We have to admit that we're powerless over the current system. And we have to admit that the system is unmanageable. If you can't get past this step, then you can't take the rest of the journey. Admit that you're powerless over the current system and admit that the system is unmanageable. We must come to believe that a personal devotion to the zero aggression principle can restore us to sanity. We must make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the dedication to peaceful voluntary actions and reject all use of aggression by ourselves and by others on our benefit to obtain our wants and needs. We must make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, our lives, and our actions, and we must root out every dependency on aggression. We must admit to ourselves and to other human beings the exact nature of our wrongs. You see, outward and inward confessions are equally important. We must be entirely ready to release our dedication to the God of the state and release the defects of aggression from our own character. We must remain in humility and constantly remain in self-examination of our shortcomings. We must continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. We must think of people we have harmed and become willing to make amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would aggress against them or others. We must seek through furthering our education and through careful analysis and meditation to expose and reject every form of aggression. And now, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we seek to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Now, there's a word for that. It's called repentance. And in religious terms, the road to righteousness is always through repentance. Now, I'm going to read to you a definition of repentance. Repentance is the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling contrite or regret for past wrongs. It generally involves a commitment to personal change and resolving to live a more responsible and humane life. The practice of repentance plays an important role in the doctrines of the world's major religions where it is considered necessary for the attainment of salvation. It often involves an act of confession to a spiritual elder or leader, some type of monk or priest, perhaps. This typically includes an admission of guilt, a promise or resolve not to repeat that offense, an attempt to make restitution for the wrong or in some way to reverse the harmful effects of the wrong where possible. Within a secular context, 
repentance may form part of a progress of psychological healing that takes place during a course of psychotherapy. So then, mankind must repent for the sin of statism. But this is impossible. Mankind can't do anything because mankind is not a person. Only the individual can repent. Only I can repent for me, and only you can repent for you. We can't slowly shrink government and set mankind free of the state. We can only kill the state in our own mind and in our own deeds. Then once we can kill the state in our own minds, once we break that addiction to aggression, once we are free of the state in our own minds, then we can walk the path to freedom, and our testimony and, in, and entrusting market forces will do the rest for us. You see, as I've said many times, only the market can kill the state. You can't kill the state. I can't kill the state. We can't shrink the state to something else. Once people realize completely and fully what the state is, they look past government. They look, they look and see that really... Um, basing a society on aggression and believing that humankind can set up, believing that individual humans can set up laws based on their own whims and their own desires. This idea that, you know, maybe, maybe you don't like law A and law B, so we need to get rid of them, but then you want law D and E because you have to try to control other people because you don't trust human nature. You see, once you let go of that myth of the state, and once you embrace the truth of the liberty mission, and once you begin to see that only through individual victory over the state, and only through the testimony of you living your life believing that, and as the state begins to grow and become more and more oppressive, and as more and more people see the folly of left-right politics and the folly of of trusting the government, and once people more and more begin to see that when they think of government, really all they can, all all they're really thinking of is more aggression. And when they decide to try to use the government to attain their their will, even if their will is shrinking government, any time they seek to use government to accomplish their means, they're using aggression. And as this becomes more and more understood, then there'll be less and less market for that aggression, and there will be more and more market for liberty. And this can only be won on an individual basis. Now, folks, I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast, and I want you to remember to visit badquaker.com, where liberty is the mission. Thanks, folks.